Homeschooling families are famous for producing precocious kids. But doesn't it make sense that the parents who raise those amazing kids are totally awesome too? It's my delight to have as our guest today a fantastic homeschooling dad, lawyer, and mystery author, Anthony Kolink. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, and I'm your host. Today we're talking to a precocious homeschooling dad, lawyer, and mystery author, Tony Kolink. Anthony Barone Kolink, a.k.a. Tony, is the author of the very award-winning teen historical fiction series, The Harwood Mysteries, which have won six book awards. He's an author of fiction and nonfiction books and articles, and a columnist for Practical Homeschooling magazine. And that's on legal issues. We are going to have Tony back to talk about that. That's right in, in our niche. So he retired as a lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Air Force Judge Advocate General's Corps after 21 years of military service. We appreciate you, Tony. Uh, he currently teaches law at the University of North Texas Dallas College of Law, and he speaks at writing, legal, and homeschool events. Tony and his family live in Jacksonville, Florida. You can find him at his super smart website. It's just beautiful, antonycolank.com. That's in our show notes. And you can also find Tony's new and very wonderful podcast, The Shepherd's Pie, there as well. We'll have a link for you. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you, Lisa. It's so good to be here. Oh, thank you. This is really fun because I have been seeing you for years <laughs> at writers' conferences in the Catholic world, all these beautiful, faithful gatherings of people uh, doing great things, and, and we have so many friends in common. So it's truly a joy to have you face-to-face -face and get to have this conversation today. I know. I knew you before you were a superstar. <laughs> hmm, I think we're still before that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but tell us first, just step us into what you're doing with your new podcast, because it looks fantastic. So it's called The Shepherd's Pie, which, by the way, I put out for a vote, but it's actually my youngest daughter, Amina's idea uh, for a title. I basically wanted a podcast that would focus on, you know, raising faithful kids today, pretty much any issue that involves youth uh, in any way, you know, impacts youth, how do we reach youth, uh, you know, legal issues involving youth, whatever it is, if it's got youth in it, that's what I, I wanted to be the focus of the podcast. So, of course, homeschooling uh, is something that we uh, would talk about and issues that impact homeschoolers. And so, uh, yeah, so it's something that it airs weekly. Right now, it, it is broadcast on uh, WQPH in Massachusetts, uh, but it's really a uh, mostly a podcast that um, I interview guests uh, like you, and uh, and I do reviews of uh, entertainment sources, whether it's books or movies or Broadway plays or whatever. Mm, that sounds like fun. It's eclectic enough, but it's right there in our universe of what's good for our kids. Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be something that would be helpful to you know parents, grandparents, youth leaders. Uh, whoever it is that cares about kids or, you know, works with kids, homeschoolers, of course, being uh, one of the main uh, folks who fall into that category. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're an eclectic group ourselves. I mean, some of us are doing media and ministry and all of that, too. Quite a, quite a lot of us. So it's a really neat, big 
complex family that you're that you're able to reach. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it's it's an ecumenical show too, so I don't just interview Catholics on there. So I've got, in fact, I'm trying to keep it pretty balanced and uh, and you know take it more from a general Christian perspective. And um, you know, what are some of the lessons that we can learn from each other on you know reaching out to our youth and just you know different issues that impact them. So smart. Sometimes it can be just the right thing to silo and just aim straight at the Catholic Church. And other times inviting that conversation, like you said, the, those other perspectives can just be so good for all of us. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And a, a lot of the books, uh, you know, if, if we have Christian books that are out there for kids, um, we have, as, as you know, we have some great Catholic authors in our Writers Guild, uh, the CatholicTeamBooks.com folks. So I'm sure we'll talk about them. Um, but there's some great uh, Protestant authors out there putting out some very good fiction for kids also. Okay, very good. And of course, my pen just ran out of ink. Hang on. <laughs> this is one of those real-life moments, folks. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to remember to put Catholic. It's Catholic Teen Books, right? Yes, CatholicTeamBooks.com. You don't okay. want to, I plug them everywhere I go because A, I'm part of them, but B, um, that's where all of our great Catholic teen authors are uh, all amassed together. There's like 16 of us there. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I know you very best, as we mentioned early on, of running into you at the Catholic Writers Guild conferences and the Catholic Marketing Network trade show. Um, you've been working really hard in that environment to help the guild to thrive, but you yourself have a fascinating history. You're a lawyer, you're an educator, you're a dad, you've homeschooled, you've won all these awards for your books, and you're an Air Force veteran. So give us a quick flyover of how you ended up homeschooling. Well, you know, we, uh, you know, I retired in 2012 from the Air Force after 21 and a half years. My wife, Elisa, and I, we have five kids, uh, four daughters and a son and three grandkids. Mm. And so uh, we got started early and I, I joined the Air Force early. And so by the time uh, the Air Force got around to sending me to law school. Thank you, taxpayers, for uh, for the free ride to law school at the University <laughs> of Florida in Gainesville. I appreciated that. Uh, so the Air Force was sending us to law school. At that point, we had three kids, and um, they were all elementary school age. And we were moving around every two to three years. And, and anybody who's moved a lot with a family knows that's difficult to deal with the school situation. And also, as a Christian family, we were, you know, not thrilled always with what we were seeing in the public schools, and we couldn't afford private school. And so naturally, uh, we got to Florida to go to law school and started running into the homeschooling movement, a lot of homeschoolers in Florida, as you probably know. And uh, we just started thinking, you know what, this might be something that would be great for our lifestyle because, you know, we're going to be continuing to move for another, you know, decade or so. And uh, it gives us the ability to, you know, teach our kids the way we think they should be taught. So that's, uh, that's when we first started dabbling with homeschooling. Uh, it was actually when I was in law school. Wow. It's amazing all the different stories that come to us about why we homeschool. There, there are as many reasons as there are families homeschooling. All right. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tony. You're going to say oh, something. No, I was going to say my, my wife, uh, you know, is a stay at home mom. And uh, she's one of these moms that, you know, her whole life is her kids. And, and it always was that way. Uh, that's all she wanted was to really be there with her kids. I remember when our, our, uh, eldest daughter went to school for the first time. 
oh, it was a heartbreaking day, you know, mm-hmm. that first day of kindergarten with the tears. And and uh, and so for that reason also, it, it was a very easy sell for my wife to think, oh, and I get to also keep the kids, you know, with me all day long and don't have to say goodbye to them. Uh, and so I think that was definitely a factor also, just her wanting to to be with her kids whenever she could, every second of her life. Mm, yeah, it's something that people who don't homeschool don't always understand. And that is that not every day is a wonderful day, believe me, <laughs> but we love our kids and we actually enjoy their company. Yes, definitely. And uh, and they enjoy her company, uh, probably a little bit more than grumpy dad, uh, you know, but... <laughs> um, but yeah, so we we enjoyed doing that, and and we homeschooled. Now my youngest is now uh, a junior in college, uh, so we haven't really homeschooled them um, in that sense. And when they went to high school, uh, some of them wound up going to high school. Some uh, some some of them we did like Florida virtual school. So mm. I would say you know our real real homeschooling years ended probably when the kids went to high school. Yeah, very, very typical. A lot of parents just at that point, either for financial reasons or because high school can be complex, um, will opt for that. Uh, yeah, it's a, right. it's one of those seasons. What do we do for high school? That's actually yes. a, a great topic for uh, another day. But um, I've been just, just starting to dip into your fiction series and read the first one of the Harwood mysteries. And I have to say, it was really fun. It's charming. It really took me to another time and place. Um, that's that you're dealing with some pretty dark stuff, and not in a heavy, unkid friendly way, but but it's very serious story in some respects. And yet, there's a lightness to it. What, how do you keep that appropriate for kids? I'm going to show you the, the the book. You can see the wonderful cover from Loyola Press that put this out, Shadow in the Dark, book yeah. one in the Harwood Mysteries. And it is. You could see the shadowy figure that's walking around on the Abbey grounds. This takes place in 12th century England, as you know. You could see uh, Zan, our, our 11-year-old boy protagonist with the uh, Abbey there in the background. And, um, you know, it, it does. It, there's some heavy stuff in the book. And you're right. I was trying to, like, I was like, gosh, there's so much so much serious stuff that happens to this kid and it's taking place. It's historical fiction. So it's taking place, um, you know, in an environment that, you know, the middle ages were not kind to uh, peasant boys like Zan. And, uh, you know, the book starts out with his band, these bandits attacking his village and he winds up losing his family and losing his memory. And he winds up at this Benedictine Abbey surrounded by monks. And he meets this girl, Lucy and the, the nuns there are, are teaching Lucy and, and some of the other girls at the convent. And, uh, and so that's the setting of the book, but you're right. There's this, this heavy stuff going on, but I didn't want it to, I mean, it's a book for, for teens and tweens. I didn't want it to be so heavy that they wouldn't enjoy it. So it was, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, that you felt like, uh, I was able to balance the darkness with the light because the books are really about redemption and hope and, you know, overcoming adversity uh, even though my main character experiences a lot of it. Yeah, and and it's an exciting mystery, too. It, it really builds tension. There are a lot of really good peripheral characters. There are certain key characters that are really intriguing. And the way things, of course, I won't give anything away, but the way it all kinds of falls out makes sense and is satisfying. So that, to me, is a big important thing with mysteries is, did it satisfy? Did it ring true? And, and did we kind of go on a journey along with the protagonist, which we most certainly did? 
Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, that's, I'm like writing a historical fiction mystery adventure for youth that also has religious themes. There's a lot of balls that I was, you know, having to keep juggled in the air. And honestly, it took me 15 years and several versions of this book. I think before um, I finally got the one that I think hits it right and Loyola uh, Press, which, you know, took up the book for me and uh, did a great job across the board with getting me really strong developmental editors and uh, and, and and editors in general. And then, like I showed you the artwork, uh, they they were outstanding. And, you know, the nice thing that they put into this that your homeschoolers would probably be interested in is they have a little section at the beginning and the end, really, about, you know, how to read historical fiction. Uh, and they've also, on their website, put together a bunch of curriculum guides and aids for teachers and parents and, and book clubs and things like that. And the books are really intended to be used. Honestly, I mean, I wrote them when we were homeschooling. I wrote them really for my 12-year-old son uh, and his age because there, there weren't, at that time, you know, we we didn't know of many great Catholic fiction historical fiction books that kids could learn from and trust, but also were newer, new enough so that kids would, you know, find that they were written in an accessible way for kids today. So it's like, that's what drove me originally to want to, you know, put the books together. So when Loyola is putting all these extras and really, you know, targeting it to, you know, families who are, I mean, I think homeschoolers are the perfect, you know, group uh, for this because we all want our kids to learn, but also to, you know, have a good time doing it and and to encounter a lot of different themes in the process. So that's what I was shooting for. Yeah. I mean, I can just see, you know, a clever homeschooler with their world map, you know, <laughs> kind of zeroing in on, on England and looking at, or even getting a map of England and printing it out off the inter- internet and just showing the locations and doing a unit on, you know, that kind of economy with serfs and nobles and and the kind of, you know, situation that he's in. And I know that, and I'm looking forward to reading it in the Haunted Cathedral, the next book, you're dealing with locations like Lincoln Cathedral and there's a, a mansion too, right? A, an estate well, Lincoln that are real Castle, places. Yeah, yeah, real yeah places. Lincoln Castle. And, and uh, what was great is in 2015, um, my law school sent me to France to teach for the summer. Real Ooh. hardship tour for me. You and uh, so I taught in France for tour <laughs> week, for two weeks. And then I decided I never really, uh, as a college, we had kids very young. Um, and so I never had the college experience of, you know, like just say, hey, let's go to Europe and just do whatever. So I was already in France and I had the rest of the summer off. And I said, you know what, I'm going to take a few weeks and I'm going to do my Zan research tour. And so I, uh, just me, I, you know, at 40 something years old, started, you know, traveling all around the UK and visiting all the places that I was writing about and that I wanted to write about and staying in hostels. And, you know, Mm. and I realized as I looked around, like, I am not the right demographic for what I'm doing right now. (laughs) Um, But it was a blast. And then my son flew out to Ireland and we spent a week together in Ireland and um, it was great. Uh, But I did all of that because, uh, because I was researching for the books, of course, but, uh, but you're right. Lincoln castle uh, is the, here, I might as well show you the book. The haunted cathedral is um, whoops. The hundred cathedral is book two. And you can see Zan, my main character and Lucy there in the cathedral and uh, it's in Lincoln, right across from Lincoln Castle. And uh, it's really an amazing uh, scene. It's where they filmed, uh, I know 
probably a bad thing to say on a Catholic show, but it's where they filmed the Da Vinci Code oh, is in okay. Lincoln Cathedral <laughs> and, uh, and, and several other uh, famous uh, you know, movies. It's a famous tourist attraction. And, uh, but the castle that, uh, I mean, the cathedral I'm writing about in the 12th century is actually the predecessor to the cathedral that's up today. There's only one wall that is still standing in the current cathedral. And, uh, and actually, my story has something to do with that wall um, because uh, 1185 AD was a momentous uh, year for Lincoln Cathedral, and uh, and that becomes the climax of my of my second book. So I I, you know, I really got to incorporate some of the hist- history of the cathedral and uh, Lincoln Castle into that second book. That was a lot of fun. That's very intriguing. Now I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what got you started writing the Harwood Mysteries? So, you, you know, yeah, you mentioned your son, but like what really got you started? What? Well, I mean, I've been writing since I was in high school. I was writing yeah. knockoffs of uh, Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I still have them in the <laughs> attic in a Love binder it. somewhere, you know, and I never got through any of them. And they're like horribly, terribly bad. <laughs> but uh, but, you know, my whole life I've been writing books that never went anywhere. And, and a lot of times, you know, you get like 100 t- pages into a book and then you just lose steam or interest or whatever. And, you know, when I joined the Writers Guild, the Catholic Writers Guild, and I guess that was 2007, Um, it was soon after the Guild had begun, just a a year or two, I think. And I was just so thrilled to be able to um, be around other Catholic writers. And these were people who actually knew what they were doing. And so (laughs) that's really when I started. That's about the time I started writing the Harvard Mysteries was uh, uh, right around that same 2007 timeframe. And I, I, want, I was surrounded by other writers who uh, were mentoring me. I was learning the trade more. I mean, I, I was writing a lot of legal things because I was a lawyer and I was writing, you know, law review articles and, um, you know, writing things for homeschoolers. But writing fiction novels and historical fiction, is it's a very different type of uh, writing experience. So, um, so I, I think I was it just in a place in my life where I was finally getting to the point where I could start doing this properly. I had the support network of other Catholic writers and fellowship of other, you know, mentors. And my son was right about the age. At that point, he was 12 when I started envisioning this. And, you know, we were looking for good Catholic fiction, and then we just weren't finding a lot. I mean, there was some good Protestant fiction, and there, of course, was like Harry Potter and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, wouldn't it be neat if we could write like an alternative to Harry Potter that, you know, a Christian um, family would want to read today? And then, you know, from there, uh, I was actually leaving law school traveling to Colorado. uh, No, we weren't. We were traveling from uh, Maryland to Colorado Springs. I was going to teach at the Air Force Academy. And as we were traveling across the country, we just started brainstorming. Well, you know, what kind of a book would it look like? Where would Hmm. I set it in history? And what kinds of things would I want to put into it? And my son, AJ, was instrumental from start to finish on um, on all my books, actually, even now I'm writing book four and, uh, and, you know, sent that to him. And even as an adult, uh, you know, he is giving me some of my best feedback that I get. Wow. That's beautiful. I mean, I love that you took a trip to Ireland with your son. I love <laughs> that this Zen, I mean, I, I feel like you, you were writing for a particular age group because you knew it so well, you have this person in your life 
that kind of informs that point of view and, and helps you not to talk down to that point of view either, but to really see how it's lived out in all of its kind of unique genius of the, the 11 or 12-year-old <laughs> boy, right? And yeah, I'm essentially <laughs> a 12-year-old at heart. Uh, and, and, and in my maturity level most of the time. So um, I also can relate. I just uh, maybe don't always, you know, get the, the modern 12-year-olds. So that's where I think, you know, my kids and my grandkids could, could come in. Um, mm. But I, I should also be perfectly, uh, you know, candid uh, with you on this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm also, uh, although I'm a parent of five kids, I'm a parent of five kids who are not practicing uh, the faith. And, uh, and it, you know, it's kind of, I'm sure some of uh, people in your audience experience this also, but so it's sort of a bittersweet situation for me. Cause on the one hand, I'm writing these books cause I really want our youth to have this kind of a, a mystery that, you know, will also bring in faith and religious themes. And at the same time, you know, my, my main audience that I wrote it for has, has not quite uh, gone uh, the way I expected. And uh, to my son's credit, though, um, he still is, like I said, I mean, he, he wrote all the music for the Shepherd's Pie podcast. Uh, he's brilliant. Um, he wrote it, composed it on his uh, computer. Uh, he's very talented and, and he, he gladly gives me all sorts of feedback, even though we're sort of on different paths, uh, you know, spiritually. Um, and so, and, and, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And, and my mm -hmm. youngest daughter, Amina did all of the graphics for the shepherd's pie. So if you, if you're, uh, if your listeners go to my website and see that little, um, you know, shepherd's pie graphic, that was all my youngest daughter who designed that. So I'm, I'm very lucky to have, you know, kids who support what I'm doing, even if we're on path, uh, different paths, you know? Mm, no, it's beautiful. And those bonds are important. I, th this may be a topic for another day, which might be good to get into together. But a great many of us who homeschooled and did our best to do everything right to bring our children up in the faith have seen our young adults walk away from the church. But my mother-in-law lives with us. She is 98 and a half. She's been through world wars and the, you know, the, uh, the depression and the Spanish flu. I mean, you can like everything that she's been through, you think about what she survived. And she looks at me and says, she's not done baking yet. <laughs> yes. You know, my neighbor, uh, one of the holiest women I know, her name is Ruth. Um, very devout Catholic. She is 95 also. And, um, and she has an adult son who's like in his seventies and he, you know, left the church as a, a college student. I think she's been praying for him her whole life and you can't find a more devout Catholic than this woman. And yet uh, she's the same way. She's like, I know that God's going to answer my prayers, you know, and I know that, you know, my son is going to, you know, find him and it's just, I may or may not see it. And, you know, her faith in that is just incredible. I, I, I want to interview her on my podcast mm. um, for that exact reason, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I think too, in our times, because our kids have been so connected with media and we're getting a little off topic <laughs> here, but just quickly, they've been so captured by a machine that destroys their faith on purpose. And yet they're so hooked into all this weird cultural stuff through their compassion for others. It's a beautiful and holy place in them that they get kind of sucked into the culture. But it's also, I believe, our cross, like this generation's 
parental cross to see that divergence from the faith, to suffer for it, but look at what we all do. We all pour into other families and other people's kids. We become those other influences for other families that help to shepherd children. I love that you use the word shepherd in your podcast name because you can still write beautiful books that will help other parents to help their kids. And as you said, there's always, always hope for our kids to come back to the Lord. He never stops pursuing them. Absolutely. So to get us back on path, I'll show you the third book. <laughs> great, great. The Fire of Eden, because it goes right into what you're saying. And this third book actually um, takes place uh, it's a jewel. It's a jewel uh, heist. Basically, uh, Zan's mentor, brother Andrew, who's about to get ordained a priest, has this his family um, ruby. This precious ruby gets stolen, and Zan and Lucy have to try to figure out who done it. And one of the characters is this uh, mysterious magician who looks like Gandalf on the cover here from the Lord of the Rings. But uh, but yeah, this this book and the and the whole trilogy really, uh, and the fourth book will be coming out next summer. So right now, it's a trilogy. Um, it's also, it's about vocation, kind of tying back into what we were just talking about, because Zan and Lucy both, you know, they age about a year every book. And, uh, you know, here they are in the Middle Ages, 12th century England. They're both at the age now where they either need to go out and get married or go into the convent or the monastery, or they're going to do something. And and mm-hmm. so the the series is really about what does God want from my life? And you know, Zan is and Lucy are both sort of torn between. Clearly, they are sort of like the sweet little couple, but they aren't, and yet they're both, you know, being called by God to something, and and they each have to make really serious decisions. And uh, and at the end of the third book, they both have to make, you know, kind of one of these life changing decisions. What am I going to do with my life? Mm. Um, and uh, you know, and and it's okay, you know, if if if. You know, if God is calling us and going back to what we were just talking about with our kids, you know, God calls us all to different paths. I mean, you, you think about people like C.S. Lewis, who was like, a, you know, an ardent atheist, and then he became C.S. Lewis, you know, and it's like, God's going to bring us on whatever path we take. And, and that's sort of one of the themes that I like to sort of weave in. And maybe it's because I'm of my own life situation with my kids. You know, I like to to weave in that theme that, you know, our road is going to take us in all these different directions that we're not going to expect. But ultimately, you know, God hopefully is setting the path out in front of us one step at a time. And, you know, we have to see where that's going to take us. Mm, what a beautiful theme. Anything else that you want to say to homeschoolers that take a series like this with all of its incredible levels um, what are some ways, and I know you said, and I want to get this into the show notes too, that Loyola has kind of units and things like that related to the books. How can, how can we really make the most of these books with our kids? So I think these and so many other historical fiction books, I think it's important to, you know, if we're going to reach this generation, we have to do it in a way that they will relate to. And I think it's important that they have books like this that you can supplement your curriculum with. If you're, if you're learning about the Middle Ages, if you're learning about feudalism or monasticism or the conflict between the church and state with, you know, King Henry or any of the other, you know, kings at that time. You know, there was a lot going on in history. You know, we're um, we're in between the second and third crusade. I'm going to get Zan into the third crusade if I could write 
two or three more books, which I already have planned. I'm mm. actually working on book five, to tell you the truth. Book four is basically done. But uh, but yeah, this is an important time in history. And so if you can get books like, you know, not just mine, there's a lot of great books out there, books like this and have the kids read it as they're, you know, learning in their social studies or history curriculum about all these different time periods, I think it just brings them to life. Um, and, and, and it makes the history real. And then to me, what's the real kicker is if I'm talking to a Christian audience, I want them to know that the books that the kids are reading are also going to sort of bring them along, you know, the path that, you know, what does God want for our lives? Not just what does the world want for our lives? And, you know, that's, that's part of what we're all being torn by. And that's what my characters sort of are dealing with in these books. And again, I'll put in a, a good pitch for catholicteambooks.com. A lot of the books from our different Catholic authors that are out there, they are all historical pieces. And you could easily find, I mean, like Amanda um, Lauer writes this wonderful series that takes place around the Civil War. Yeah. And we all know you're going to have a huge unit in your you know, books on the Civil War, so in your history classes. And so you could you know, use these as ways to, you know, draw your kids, not just into history, but also more into the faith and even just thinking about life and what does God want for my life? I mean, any of these Catholic team books, you know, there, there's these coming of age themes and, and this idea of, of, you know, God leading us as we get older. I mean, I'm still asking myself, what does God want for my life? <laughs> so, As you should. Yes. <laughs> because he wants more stories. <laughs> yeah. hey, look, if Loyola keeps publishing them, I'm going to keep writing them. I, I've got nine of these suckers, at least, in my mind right now. Wow. That's just beautiful. I love the endless creativity of our walk with God, too, because we have so many new seasons. You're in this season where God is pouring out these beautiful stories through you, and we never know. When we turn a corner and our lives change again, God may call us to something new. It's just beautiful. Yeah, definitely. And and like you said, I mean, here you are, you know, working on, on this podcast and doing your own writing. I mean, who knew like 10 years ago, could any of us have predicted where we'd be, what we'd be doing? And it's the same for our, our, our homeschoolers, you know, they're, they're at that age where they're learning these things and we don't know what they're going to be when they grow up and, and you know, where their path's going to go. So I think anything we can do to try to help them along in the right direction, you can only hope. I know my prayer for my family is, you know, we can only hope I gave them a good, you know, foundation and, you know, God, you know, you got to leave it in God's hands. You know, at some point God will, will lead them where they need to go, hopefully. So. Amen and amen. Planting seeds and letting God water and bring them to fruition. So beautiful. All right. Thank you so much, Tony. This has really been fun. We could have talked, I think, for a lot longer, um, but we will absolutely have you back again. Would love to talk to you more. And thank you so much for making the time in your very complex and busy <laughs> life. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Oh, it's been a joy. Everybody stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi, my friends. This is Chantal Howard with From Ideal to Real taking holy and lofty pipe dreams and making them more accessible, more actionable, more attainable in everyday life. Let's talk about leadership today. How do we lead when there's areas of our life that we're still ashamed of? How do we have confidence 
in the midst of doubt. Doesn't matter if you're a homeschool mom, whether or not you are a fitness trainer, a coach, an Instagram influencer, anywhere along the spectrum, you're gonna have to deal with this. Why? Because anytime we try to optimize our life, anytime we try to stretch and, and level up and make impact, we experience that resistance, that resistance and that unfortunate reality that our brain wants to tell us no, recoil back into self-pity and perfectionism and don't press on. So my first tip for you today is when you begin to encounter these feelings and these thoughts that want to, to hold you back and weigh on you as a reason to quit, as a reason to, to give up on that call that you have in your, in your heart to make a difference, is to actually rewire your thought to be that this is a sign. This is a sign that says go. Doubt now for you will equal growth, will equal I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm gonna press forward. We have to practice this and we have to be intentional about reframing those thoughts around our doubts and about our and around our inefficiencies and our imperfections. The second thing we can do when we encounter this imposter syndrome rise up in us is be humble and just simply acknowledge we're not there yet. We're not perfect. Put on our curiosity lens and start to have a learner mindset. What growth do we need to encounter? What wisdom do we need to receive in turn to turn around and share with our clients or our kids or our spouses, what, whatever area it is of leadership that we're called to? Having that curiosity and that learner mindset will make us more capable of growing beyond those very things that we feel are holding us back. So this is really important. Be a learner, be curious, be humble. And lastly, my friends, this is a fun one, but when you feel like imposter syndrome is surging up in you, leverage an alter ego, put on a fun attitude, be playful, and come up with that creative version of yourself that you want to be. What could you do if you were that person? And put on that hat, play around with that alter ego, and I have a feeling that you're going to find that you're breaking through that imposter syndrome with a lot of fun and ease. Perfect example of this was when I was trying to teach my kids how to read and they were bored out of their minds. And instead, I decided to take on that version of myself that I thought would be really attractive to them. I gave her a name, Mrs. Sniffles, and she had a bit of an accent. And before you knew it, oh my gosh. All the kids were excited. They wanted to bring their friends in. They wanted to. They wanted me to teach in that personality all the time. <laughs> and I discovered a capacity in myself to be more creative, more present, and, and more effective than I ever would have been had I not taken on that fun alter ego. So play around with that, especially when you're in a space where you feel stuck and you just have, have lost your confidence. My friends, we are called to lead. You know that feeling on your heart that says that you have something big to bring to the world. Don't let your doubts hold you back. Be not afraid. Let's keep going. Surge forward and know that when doubt is on your doorstep, greatness is just around the corner. I can't wait to help you with more topics, help you grow and expand your leadership and bring those holy dreams to life. Go find me at chantal-howard.com and let's keep going. 
I can't wait to visit with you more. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.